0: Right now, though, stay tuned for another jolt of inspiration. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Divas That Care. My name is Candice Gish. Oh, my gosh, we have a great show for all of you today. We're going to be welcoming back a past diva, somebody that's been on the Divas That Care network as a guest, but not on my program. So I'm really excited to be chatting with her today. If this is your very first time tuning into the Divas That Care, a huge welcome. The Divas That Care is now in its 11th season. We are listened to in over 30 countries around the world, and it's because of all of our fantastic listeners out there that have shared our program, supported us along our journey, that we are able to do this. So it's, I'm so excited about that. Uh, you can check out all of those programs, too, because we do record them at DivasThatCare.com. All right, as I said, I'm excited to be talking with our guest today. Today's guest is Mega Sood. And I'm so excited to have you, Megha. So welcome to the show.
1: Thanks, Candice, so much uh, for giving me this platform. I'm so excited to be talking to you. (laughs) Oh, my goodness.
0: I am beyond excited. You know, I had the opportunity to listen to your other show and then to kind of follow you on LinkedIn and some other places. I thought, oh, my goodness, this woman is absolutely fantastic, the things that she's doing out there. But before we kind of dive into something like the questions that I do have for you today, would you mind introducing yourself to my listeners? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, everyone, uh, my name is Meghassoud.
1: I'm an editor, writer, poet, author, and a literary activist uh, based in Jersey City, New Jersey. I have uh, shifted my base. I was born and bought up in India and shifted my base almost 14 years ago. And uh, I have pivoted from my successful career in IT for almost a decade as a project manager in business intelligence and data designing to pursue my passion in creative writing uh i started with doing some voluntary activities in uh, like around the community and all that and and then in 20 in the end of 2017 i created my uh poetry website and uh, from there i got like invited to be a, a literary collective uh, member and editor of four other literary collective journals and right now i'm a editor of a us based collective uh UK based literary journal. I'm also a literary partner with Stanford University Life in Quarantine project. Uh both my staff book and full length are coming out this year. And uh, I'm also an advocacy member for the United Nations and several other organizations.
0: Oh my goodness. <laughs> you know, I'm listening to you and I'm thinking she is doing so much, and you were so busy, and you've done so many different things. You're helping so many people. Now you're switched. focus in activism with words. Yeah, so
1: I, as you said, my activism is, is a very important and a central goal for my writing because generating awareness about these issues is the primary goal of my writing. So uh, when I started writing uh, about these issues, because while growing up in India, I was also like a uh, you know, witness to so many social issues like, sexual and gender-based discrimination, workplace discrimination, sexual violence against women, LGBTQ, gun violence, and so on and so forth. And then when I moved my base over here as a woman, as a person of color, as a mother, and as a first-generation immigrant, uh, I was also exposed to other set of issues, and most of my writings that I also mention about the displacement and migration issues. So both my job, both my books the, uh, the anthologies which I've edited in the past, they are centralized around these issues, around the, the issues of the human rights and the systemic oppression of the people of color in the country and around the world.
0: How do you have time to do all of this? This is extraordinary. And I, I absolutely loved when you had mentioned that you're going to be talking about act- activism through words. It's going to be a very powerful topic we're going to be talking about. So tell me, why is this important to use words? Yeah, because
1: uh, initially, when I, like I had a very different trajectory. as I said, I did my master's in computer application, I was in information technology, and there also you are doing something, or the other is in technical documents and all that. But while growing up, I was surrounded by all these issues, and I never had the time to pursue my passion of, you know, to either to educate myself or to learn about these issues, because it's, it's the empathy which connect you to people around us. You cannot be a victim of every other issue around you. And that I say to everyone around me, that you have to be empathy. And poetry is one of the tools which, you know, triggers the empathy. And empathy is very important for social and, you know, environmental justice. So Mm -hmm. that's how it started. And I, I started writing about it. And the more and more I started to learn about the issues of people around me, and they should that I also was a victim of. And then I wanted to know more about them. And that's how it grew from there. I started, you know, contributing to the socially conscious anthologies because the revenues of these are used to support the charities which I'm passionate about. So I used the word as my tool. You know, the power of words and the power of... I love that. Because that's the, that's, that's the only platform I had. So when I started my, the, my blogging uh, website, I didn't have any audience because I completely pivoted from that. I had no formal education in writing, no MFA, no But But I was like, this is my passion and I will pursue it. And that's what I Mm -hmm. talk about other writers that, you know, if you have a passion, you have to work towards it and it will catch fire and burn. And you don't have to worry about the size of the intended audience. If you are passionate about something which you're doing in your life, doors will open, ways will open, and you'll find yourself collaborating with the people who share your passion. And that's exactly what happened with me.
0: Oh, my gosh. And that's so powerful. Can I ask you, why did you decide to use poetry? I think when growing
1: up in India, like I I never wrote a poem or something other than like part of the educational curriculum where the poetry is one of, like, you know, part of it and you have to write. But because we, are, we were a musical family, we always listened to music or other forms of you know, creative expression. So it was, I was always drawn towards musicality. I was always drawn towards the power of words and all that. And uh, it, it came just naturally to me. I wanted to write something because it, it, it's just like if you read something in the newspaper, it might not move you that much. But if the same thought comes to you in a form of form, it will stay in your head and heart for days. So it makes a very powerful impact. So th- that's why that's why I chose this medium because it impacted me first, mm-hmm. and I thought that if impacted me first, it can have the same powerful impact. And then then I started reading about the works of classical and contemporary poets, and I was moved by it. And then I had time on my hands, and that it just came. Initially, when I used to write, it was like stream of consciousness writing. So I used to do very few edits and all, but the more and more I educate myself with the craft of poetry,
0: I started writing in all the different, like, 25, 38 forms of poetry. Oh, well, that makes sense to me completely, you know, and and I think it's going to impact the younger generations even more so. Yeah, exactly. i mean, poetry and the spoken word, as you say, it's like if it's putting
1: out the raw emotion out there and when you combine it with music, it makes a very powerful impact on people.
0: Yes, exactly. So tell me, I want to know about the Medusa Project. You know, I've been reading little tidbits about it, but I would love to know what it's all about. So the Medusa Project was my debut
1: project as an editor. It's an e-anthology, and it's free to download on the Mookie Check. It's, it's an anthology I co-edited with the UK-based poet and artist, uh, Juliet Van And the the anthology is basically was curated to celebrate the 100 years of the suffragist movement, which is which led to the 19th amendment of the U.S. Constitution, allowing women to vote. So uh, it, it was done in 1920, and in 2020, I wanted to, you know, commemorate this big event. So we did the call out for the anthology, and the anthology basically celebrates the writings and art of 50 plus uh, women creative across the world. And uh, the most the the miraculous thing which happened with the Medusa Project. Is that the project has the anthology has been chosen as a digital payload to descend to Moon in 2023 as part of the Polaris uh, collection uh, by the Griffin mission uh, in uh, collaboration with NASA, SpaceX, and Astrobiotic Technology. So what basically NASA is doing as part of the Artemis uh, mission, which is to send uh, people on Moon again after 50 years, they are sending the works of 6,000 plus creatives and one AI to the moon in different, in three different uh, tablets, digital uh, tablets. So Medusa project has been chosen to be part of the third tablet. So first
0: is the Jigarin and then it's uh, oh, wow. Nova and then it's the Polaris. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So you've got, you've got so many other things. You mentioned early in the program that you are partners with Stanford University. Why did you decide to go with Stanford University?
1: Oh, so uh, it was something that they had a call out for an essay and a poetry in response to the pandemic. That how we've been affected by the pandemic, and uh, and then I did a submission for it, and it was the project "Life in Quarantine." and And it's a, it's a postdoctoral it's a project by three doctoral students in Stanford University. And once they selected my both my essay and the one poetry got selected, they actually reached out to me That's and they awesome. wanted to. Yeah, and they they wanted me to act as a literary curator for the uh, for the project for the website, and uh, because I because of the involvement my involvement in the community-led activities during the pandemic. So basically, what Life in Quarantine Project is basically it's a historical mm-hmm. online archive of the you know personal narratives of the people affected by the pandemic all across the globe. So it's not limited to US. It's it's the first of its kind in the world. And it's mm-hmm. done by uh, Stanford University in collaboration with PESTA, which is Center for Spatial and Textual Analysis. And their initial idea was to, you know, create an archive of all the personal narratives to people affected by it, the pandemic. And then mm-hmm. later, the, the, the archive grew so much that it started collecting the narrative from mutual aids, from prisons, underrepresented societies, uh, from the frontliners, as in doctors, their podcasts, and... Then came the creative portion. So the creative portion of the website is where I come in. So I am basically responsible to curate the works of poets and writers across the globe to curate their work in response to the pandemic. So uh, And the, the first phase of the project completed last year, and it's been really successful due to which we entered into the second phase, which is teaching in quarantine. The teaching in quarantine is basically an idea to create a crowdsource creative common license, pedagogical resources uh, of all the educators, um, you know, by curating the lessons, methods, and uh, methodologies, and the strategies which they have used for teaching in quarantine.
0: So it's not only an archive. It can be a very potential resource for future educators and historians. That's fantastic, and I think it's gonna a lot of people are going to be using that. So tell me, obviously you have a lot of projects on the go here. How are you able to really balance it? Because, you know, listening to you, I find that you're extremely busy, but you probably have a really good system that maybe some tips you can share with our listeners on how you can get it all into your day. So the thing is, like, in in
1: my the first half of my career, as I say, in, like, as a project manager, so that was my profile of managing. And I think it, it came as a natural thing about me. I'm all always good at managing things because I want to write them. I want to, you know, make a spreadsheet of it and make sure that everything is like marked everywhere and nothing is nothing is like in my head. Because there's so many things going. I don't want to drop mm-hmm. uh anything anywhere. So I make like a comprehensive detail of everything and make sure nothing gets flipped, nothing gets overlapped. So that's how so that's when I do the projects and then I take up new projects I make sure that I have the space so that I can uh, I can you know, respect the commitment and I can do them. Uh, properly and not overlap them or not like, you know, rush them. So uh, I make sure that everything is well documented and organized.
0: I think all of us need to, to use that as advice because I, I was mentioning to a friend of mine the other day that I'm always in the middle of the night, all of a sudden I'll wake up and I think, oh, I need you to go do that. And I have to write it down because if not, I won't get back to sleep because then I'll be thinking about it because I'm like, oh, I'm going to forget that if I don't write it down. So, I love that you're organized and you're able to put this all. Obviously, you've got an amazing system. And I always tell people, sure that you, like you said, you write it down or put it into have some, some type of a planning system because you never know. Ideas or something comes up, and then you're like, oh, what was that again? And then you have it and you know, kind of go back into
1: things, check it out. Yeah. No, absolutely. You're right. I mean, you writing. We always have to have two things, I think. A, a, the things have to be organized, and B, you have to have a backup. So especially in these days when everything is technologically, uh, like you know, it's always online. So you have to have to make sure that you don't lose anything and you have a backup. And then, yeah, you have access to technology. So you make sure that whatever comes to your mind, you have so many things. You have your mobile phone. You have like access to all these apps, and you write it down there. You don't. I don't. I don't uh, rely on my memory anymore. No.
0: No, I don't either. Um, And one of the things I found is that because I did plan, I put a lot of stuff on technology for the longest time and I didn't write things down, sometimes you would have glitches and things would go missing. So now I do both because, like you said, a backup plan, I'm now writing a lot more things down just so that it doesn't go missing. Yes, absolutely. So tell me, what else are you doing? What other kind of projects do you have coming out in the future? So
1: currently my uh, so this year my SAP book got published in the month of October. So then there's like all the marketing and publicity I was involved in. Then because I'm also an editor of two different journals, they are bi annual journals, so their issues came out. One of them is going to come out in December twenty one. That's Life and Legends, Winter Edition and it's one of the bi annual journal of Silent River Literary Festival and Society. And then uh, uh, my book is going to finally, like, be published in January 2021, the full length, and then I'm working on my next full length, and then I've been asked to be an associate editor for Brownstone Poets Anthology, which is a 20-year-old anthology. It's run by Patricia Carrigan in Brooklyn, New York, and uh, then uh, I'm also going to work on the second phase of teaching in Quarantine, which is the Stanford University project, and uh, and, and so 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 on and so forth. <laughs>
0: That's fantastic. So one of the things I want to ask you is do you do mentorship? Because I know we probably have quite a few listeners here that are thinking, oh, my goodness, I would love to be mentored by an amazing person like yourself. Have you ever done anything like that? Uh, no, not really. Not. Uh, I mean, like, because uh,
1: it's, it's more of a learning curve for me. But, yeah, I've been, like, giving, like, workshops, and I've been part of workshops. I've been a poetry judge for a few of the state-level poetry contests here in the U.S., and one very repeated one back in India but it fits a mm-hmm. learning curve for me. So right now, yeah, people have reached out to me that you should start doing the mentorship, but I think I'm more of a learner and like a curator, and I think it, yeah. it's, I, I believe in learning more than, and, and obviously in teaching until and unless you're a very, you know, expert in your area and you're learning through your teaching. So, yeah, if somebody comes to me and asks for input, or, you know, tips and tricks or whatever and, you know, any help, I give them the help. But I, if you say you're starting a mentorship
0: program, per say, no, I haven't done that. <laughs> Completely understand. It's a lot of work. But I, I love that. So you're always willing to give advice and stuff, which is absolutely perfect. So tell me, do you have any tips or tools for our budding authors out there uh, or people that are getting into activism, you know, and they're looking for those ways to express themselves? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, when
1: I started out, I told you all. I mean, I had no platform, as in like I had no intended audience, I had no experience in creative writing, but I believed in my passion and I followed it. And then I started building my network in the literary community, and from there it went to the actual community in the the, the activists and all that. So, uh, I I the, the advice I would want to say is that first you have to identify the issue, which or the cause which you are passionate about and do some research, educate yourself about it. And then and only then you'll be able to generate the awareness. If you're not fully educated about it, you'll not be able to, you know, give response to the people when they reach out to you. And uh, then you have to choose the platform. So literary activism is the platform for me, which I chose, but you can be a, you know, on-ground activist also. So it depends on what platform you've chosen. chosen, and uh, And then, I also, you know, heavily contributed to social anthologies and whose revenues are used to, you know, support the charities. So you can take you, know, you can write about it. You can spread the awareness about it. You can contribute to the anthologies. You can be part of those charities which are doing the same work. So you can reach out to the people in your local community and all that. So I can give you an example that while, uh, you know, while doing the workshop for the, you know, Hate Crime Against the Abhi community, I came across the website which was developed by, last year, which was developed by uh, Asian-American Department of San Francisco State University. It's called stopapihate.org and it's a powerful resource. It's basically, it's a it's a website which was created in March 2020 in response to the xenophobia and bigotry against the RP community, Asian Islander and Pacific Heritage. And then uh, it's basically a response and a tracking center, and the people can actually go and, and record their uh, you know, incident about the hate crime in their own language. So I came to know about that, mm-hmm. and now wherever I'm being called for to represent the Asian American community, I make sure that the knowledge about this website is spread far and wide. So it it goes from there. I mean, you have to be on look for the the resources which are available in the community and make sure that you are able to spread the information about it. So it can be through words or it can be through spoken things, or it can be through your actions. So whatever mode, A, is convenient to you, and whatever platform you choose and what issues you are passionate about, you have to work on it. And the only thing which matters in your heart is
0: you should be passionate about it. Exactly. That's wonderful. Thank you so much. How can our listeners get a hold of you? So uh,
1: as I've been talking again and again, I have my website. It's on WordPress. I'm also on Facebook. I'm on Instagram and on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Meghasood16. My Instagram handle is uh, World 16 On Facebook, you can look it up by Meghasood. And uh, yeah, my website on WordPress is Meghasworldsite.wordpress.com. Yeah, it's a longer thing. So, but if you Google my name, uh, you will. You can
0: reach out to me very easily. Perfect. And for all of our listeners, just to let you know, I will be posting all of Megas information on our Divas That Care website and on all of our other social media, so you'll be able to get a hold of her that way, too. Oh, my gosh. Girl, I've had so much fun today. I'm absolutely inspired, inspired by everything that you're doing, how you're helping so many people using words. It's making an impact. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your going with words to me, Candice. Oh, it's my pleasure. And I would love to have you back on in the new year. I think that there's just so many topics that we can talk about and inspire even more people.
1: Yes, yes, definitely. That would be an honour and
0: pleasure for me as well. Perfect. Again, thank you so much, Mega. Thank you to our listeners. And I hope that you do something kind. We are in the season of kindness. and We need to do it. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening. This show was brought to you by Divas That Care. Connect with us on Facebook, on Instagram,